In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. On your log. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show continues. Heath Klein in for Chuck today. Final hour of 2023 for us. We're going to make it a good one. One of our favorite guests when it comes time to talk about Alabama joins us right now. Drew DeArmond. And hear him on 97.7 Zone in Huntsville, Alabama, and always up on what's going on with the Tide. Drew, appreciate you making some time, man. How are you? Good, Heath. How are you? Happy New Year, man. I appreciate you doing it. Uh, let, let's get into yesterday's revelation there from, uh, we just played the audio a little bit ago, uh, Jalen Milrow about uh, Bill O'Brien having tried to convince him, yeah, man, you're not a quarterback, go somewhere else. What, what was your reaction when you, not just that you heard it, but that he put it on Front Street like that? Well, I mean, I think everybody knew when Nick Saban signed uh, Jalen Milrow that he was a developmental player. I mean, I know that for a fact Nick Saban thought he had, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson type athletic ability, but he was also very frank in that that Jalen needed development, and it was going to take a few years for that to happen. And he, the quote that I I had that I got, you know, from that I've heard uh, that he, he told folks in the know was. Is that look? You know, this is not a democracy; it's a dictatorship, and I will, you know, have a plan for Jalen Milrow. We we need to develop him as a drop back passer, as a and as a complete QB. He's an outstanding athlete, but he's going to take some time to develop. And certainly, uh, they stayed with that plan. Uh, it, it was interesting that Jalen was so forthcoming with what Bill O'Brien thought. I know Bill O'Brien was very high on Ty Simpson. I was very high on Ty Simpson. I'll wear it. I thought Ty would win the job. I've seen, you know, Jalen in scrimmages. I've been fortunate to see his development at Alabama. And at times, it's been very up and down. And there were times that he would throw a grave digger. I've seen him make throws like that in scrimmages. I've also seen uh, him struggle a lot. And so, but he always had the athleticism and, and, the, and the arm strength and just the tools. They just needed to be harnessed. And I think in a lot of ways, Bill O'Brien's not a great fit for the college game. I heard you earlier talking about his, uh, you know, job prospects. Uh, I thought he did a solid job at Penn State. I thought he did a, a better job than he's given credit for at Alabama. But I just don't think – I think he's a cookie-cutter type guy. And a lot of the NFL guys are that kind of guy. Uh, you know, they, they want ready-made pieces that they can plug in. They're not really good developers. And that's why I love guys like Steve Sarkeesian because I circle back to Sark, Keith, because Sark, when they signed Bryce Young, they had Drake May committed, but he, he flipped to North Carolina family history and a chance to play at North Carolina in his mind faster and it worked out for him but they had to sign a quarterback behind Bryce Young and and he was handpicked by Steve Sarkeesian was Jalen Milrow they flipped him ironically from Texas where uh, Sark uh, coaches now and and one thing that I'll never forget this year before Alabama and Texas played in Tuscaloosa was the embrace that Milrow and, uh, and Sark had. I think Sark is one of the great developers of quarterbacks and teachers of the game and he saw 
a lot of what Jalen Milrow has accomplished this year when he recruited him. And I just think that's the difference when you look at a Steve Sarkeesian on the college level and a Bill O'Brien. Yeah, Sark's a really interesting dude in that everybody agrees that he has a lot of qualities that are exactly what you would want from a coach. The question is, can he put it all together? And this year, for the first time, the things that have always held him back, not talking about his personal life, but just on the field, he was able to avoid that one pitfall game that knocked him out of the mix. Yeah, you, you look at K-State in particular, but there are other games where that pattern of hot start, then after half, the other guys catch up. You don't have it for 60 minutes. That pattern played out multiple times this year, but he never paid for it. And I'm really interested to see now that he's made it to this stage as a head coach for the first time, what that's going to look like. Well, and don't forget, they lost to Washington last year in the bowl game, too. So it's another hump for him to get over in the college football playoff this year to beat Washington. His former, his first head coaching opportunity. Uh, He took over an 0-12 program that had bottomed out. By the time he left, they were, you know, winning eight games. He he got Jake Locker there. He turned the program around. He hired Tosh LaToy. They were getting a lot of really good players. Then he went to Southern Cal, and then his personal demons got him. So he's been on a very interesting career arc, no question about it. I think Nick Saban did save him, though. Uh, you know, I'm still going to be very interested to see if he can b- feed the beast at Texas and continue to win at that high a level. Uh, but there's no question uh, that he learned from Coach Saban how to put together an organization. He has an outstanding one. He has one of the best defensive line coaches in the business in Bo Davis. They're paying him very well. Uh, they have they put together a really good staff there. Uh, you know, they they built the program. One thing I always loved about Sark is he he's great with quarterbacks and throwing the ball, Heath. But he sticks to his core, though. He he runs the football. He stays patient with the run. He did that in 20 when Alabama won the national championship. When they beat Georgia and Tuscaloosa, one of the big reasons they did is because he continued to feed Najee Harris. And even though Georgia was so good on defense, they wore Georgia down with two and three yard runs, and then started popping runs in the second half. And then, of course, we're able to make big plays over the top vertically to guys like Jalen Waddle and uh, Devontae Smith. But he's just he, he he's the uh, the perfect OC for me because he he believes in balance and he believes in physicality and running the football and he's built this Texas program really from the inside out on the lines of scrimmage. And who knows? Maybe we get him against Saban for the prize next week. But both of them have work to do first. Drew Diarman with us, of course, from ESPN ninety-seven-seven in Huntsville. So, Drew, looking at this matchup this weekend. The the problem with Alabama is I'm very confident if the best version of Alabama shows up, they win. I just have no way of knowing if that'll happen because it really only happened for the Kentucky game and the Georgia game. But even wrapped in between those, you've obviously got the, the curious performance against Auburn that could have wrecked everything. So I'll just ask you, like, what do you think Alabama is right now? Are we confident they have figured things out to the point they can be their best self for two more games? I think so. I mean, you got to also understand that they didn't have Jace McClellan, uh, who means a lot to that running game. Now, I mean, he especially against Auburn, uh, you know, he he, he you know he, he was uh, you know not uh, he did not play in the game. So uh, you got, you have to understand that uh, you know not having a guy like Jace that's really really tough. Uh, no doubt about it, and the, you know, and then, but Alabama was able to adjust. You know, Jam Miller played a much bigger role, especially against Georgia. 
you know, that, and, and they were able to, uh, you know, still find a way, you know, with Roy Dell Williams carrying the load as well. I mean, Jace's uh, workload was just, you know, it was the, it, it was reduced, you know, quickly. And and again, I'll take that back. Jace did play against Auburn, but he got injured in the game, and so they didn't have him against Georgia. And then, but Jam stepped up. But again, and when when he got hurt, and even before he got hurt, I don't think Jace was himself in the game against Auburn. But you know, I I think Jace being back, he's a security blanket for Milrow. He's uh, he's a guy that they trust uh, to run. Uh, block and catch. Him, him and Roy Dell are very, very experienced. So having him back is going to be huge. Also, let's not forget, they're going to have Kool-Aid McKinstry back healthy. He had the concussion uh, against Georgia. It allowed uh, Trey Amos to, to really kind of come into his own and play his best football against UGA. So you've got three corners right there. And then I think also, uh, I know some people worry about Russ, but I do think getting Alabama fresh and getting them, uh, you know, back to as close to 100% Jalen Key as well because he wasn't 100% down the stretch. I think having everybody available that you can have offensively and defensively will be huge. And I, I think, you know, also I, I think down the stretch they got a little bit nicked up in the wide receiver room. Uh, you know, I think Burton was a little banged up down the stretch as well. So I think having those guys healthy for this game against Michigan is going to be big. And, and I do think – Milrow stylistically, there's not really a quarterback like him in the Big Ten, so I think his mobility could give Michigan problems. But at the same time, Milrow has to protect the ball. And I think that's been the key since the Texas game. He, he has not turned it over very much. He's done a very good job of, of uh, you know, taking care of the football. But against Michigan, he's also going to have to be a willing runner. And Michigan is very good defensively. You're going to take some hits. You're going to take some shots. And I thought that was one thing against Kentucky that I was really, you know, proud to see is that he got dinged up against Kentucky, but he showed a lot of toughness and, and, and gutted his way through the game. He's going to have to do that against Michigan. He's going to have to be a willing runner because when he's a willing runner, when you saw him do that against LSU, against Kentucky, uh, even against Auburn because he rushed for over 100 yards, when he's a willing runner, Alabama is much harder to defend. And I think also it just it styles make fights, and I think Hugh Freeze. The reason Georgia and Alabama had so much trouble with Auburn is because of Hugh Freeze's offensive acumen. I haven't seen that as much with Harbaugh. We'll see what they come up with offensively, but I think the the style with which Auburn plays gave I gave I think that explains why Georgia and Alabama, who are really carbon copies of one another from the Saban tree, had trouble with Hugh Freeze. But again, I'm going to be fascinated to see how Alabama, if Alabama can stop Blake quorum because this is going to be an old school game it's going to be who can run the football who can stop the run and the plus minus i'm going to see can alabama stop michigan's run because they stopped georgia's that's the biggest reason they beat georgia they made georgia one-dimensional if they put the game in jj mccarthy's hands i still like alabama's chances if milrow can protect the ball i was talking about this earlier drew Armand's with us from over in huntsville espn 97 7 looking at alabama and michigan michigan averages 4.27 yards per rush it's 72nd in fbs which i think surprised is a lot of people that think this is a just a pound it down your throat physical team they haven't actually been that but what they do feel like maybe they do better is they get to the edges so how would Alabama handle it this turns out to be a game whether it be end of rounds reverses whether it just be uh, calling plays to get the ball to the edge can they win against Alabama if that's where they try to get the majority of their yards well, I still think Alabama with Dallas Turner and Braswell, and even the secondary, Caleb Downs, 
you know, the, the Sean Alexander freshman of the year. Now, I, I do think the weakest link has been Jalen Key. He needs to keep everything in front of him. But I think Malachi Moore could be big in this, too, because he's so experienced and can play so many different roles as a Swiss Army knife. I do think if, if Michigan tries to attack the edges, I like Alabama's chances. But I think Alabama also has to be multiple offensively. I think besides Milrow being a willing runner, they've got to use different parts of this offense. They need to get the ball to Nye Black. And I think, you know, he, he had a bigger role against Auburn. He didn't do as much against Georgia. I think Kendrick Law needs to have a bigger, bigger role offensively. He, he's a very versatile piece, no question about that. He can, he run, he can run the football on end rounds and reverses himself. He can catch the football. I've kind of called him Alabama's version of Debo Samuel. So I think they need to attack the edges of Michigan. But, again, I think Dallas Turner's got to stay home, play well with his eyes. I think, you know, same way with Chris Braswell. You can't just get upfield every time. And then the secondary tackling on the edges and out in space is going to be big as well. I know Michigan doesn't make a lot of explosive big plays, but they're probably going to throw some things at you uh, that you haven't seen before. So tackling in the open field and then forcing turnovers are going to be big. They've got to get Michigan off schedule. They've got to, you know, contain Blake Corm. He's going to make some plays. But they got to put Michigan in some second and third and longs and put the game in J.J. McCarthy's hands and try to turn him over. And if they do that, uh, and, and then if they play well in the red zone, too, that's another hidden area. Uh, Alabama's played pretty well in the red zone, as you know, Heath. If they can force Michigan to kick for three and not score touchdowns, I think this game for Michigan to win needs to stay in the low 20s to high 20s. I've got Alabama winning 28-23, but I just think if this game gets into the 30s, Michigan is going to be in trouble. Curious what you made of the fact that I don't think Isaiah Bond realized he was letting something out. I don't think he had any reason to want to help the media, but the fact that the word came out that Alabama's not letting the players look at stuff on their pads, that they only can do it in in a group setting, what did you make of that? Well, I mean, I, I know it's being made because of Michigan and their signs dealing. I was a little surprised as well that that information leaked out. But, I, I mean, I don't put too much into it. I, I know Alabama's, uh, you know, they're a very well-oiled machine from that standpoint of the way they prepare. Nick Saban always, they always self-scout really well. They always, like, I, in 2017, I know for a fact they completely redesigned all their blitz packages because they felt like they were, everybody was figuring out what they were doing and they wanted to do something different against Clemson and it worked. Uh, with what had Michigan's being accused of, am I surprised they would do that? No, because you're trying to protect things at every angle. But again, this is just what Nick Saban does. He's so organized. He does such a great job at, 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 uh, at you know, preparing his team for these kind of games. That's why he's 8-1 uh, against the Big Ten, uh, you know, since he came to Alabama. He just does a great job of covering every base and not trying, and not trying to give an opening up. Uh, to a, a Michigan to have any kind of avenue to figuring out what Alabama's doing and to, 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 to hire George Hilo, who, of course, worked at Alabama and knows Alabama's system very well, but he just so happened to spend two years at Michigan as well. So I always call it chess, not checkers, and Nick Saban is the best I've ever seen at building an organization. He's always had to tweak it and, and, uh, and, you know, and make changes every year. He's going to have to, after this is over, because he's going to at least have one staff member move 
moving on, and Coleman Hustler maybe more. So, but Nick Saban's the master at this, and I don't think it's anything to raise eyebrows. I just think it shouldn't be. You shouldn't be surprised because Nick Saban is going to try to cover every base he can in preparing to play against a really good Michigan team who is the number one team in the country and unbeaten. Last thing for you, Drew. If we had Saban down deep, dark in his lair, it's the room of truth. Him and you and nobody else will know that he ever acknowledged he's thought of such a thing. Who's he want next week? I'll be honest. I think he'd like to have Sark again. Uh, We know what he's done in rematch games with LSU in 2011. Uh, We saw what he just did with Georgia. He knows Sark very well. I think he wasn't satisfied with how his team played in the game in Tuscaloosa. I think Milrow would love another shot uh, at Texas because Texas is a great football team. Uh, you know Sark very well because he worked for you. You know Bo Davis. Uh, you know so many of those guys, Jeff Banks. And I think it's always uh, better when you know a team. You haven't seen Washington uh, from the Pac-12. They throw it very well. DeBoer is an underrated coach who does such great things. He, he does things in a different way. But I think deep down he'd want, a, he'd want another shot at Texas. Drew DeArmond, you can hear him in the mornings on 97.7 ESPN in Huntsville. And, of course, we love having him on talk about the Tide. Enjoy the weekend, Drew. Appreciate you making the time. Yes, sir, Heath. I appreciate the opportunity. There you go. There's a look at Alabama. We will check in on the broader picture in about 15 minutes. Chris Felica from Fox scheduled to join us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Make sure you keep it right here. Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show. He's Klein in for Chuck one last time for 2023. The King will be back and going guns a-blazing coming out of the CFP next week. We'll have a best of show for you on the actual holiday itself. And then um, certainly whatever happens. With the weekend, we'll have plenty of conversation about it as we do for you 52 weeks a year right here. Last night, there was a game I thought was noteworthy. Uh, Some of the bowls more important than others. Last night, you had an Arizona team that had a chance to win 10 that before the season did not have a win total that would have even had them in a bowl game. That was how low the expectations were still for Arizona, at least out in Vegas. They wound up basically doubling their win total if you include the bowl win uh, last night, 38-24 against Oklahoma. I will continue to just note that Jed Fish, who reportedly was at least one of the names that came up for the Texas A&M job, uh, Jed Fish is a University of Florida alum and a guy who was there in the Spurrier era. If it turns out that he can sustain this for another year, one of the things that Billy Napier would have going for him theoretically would be just the idea of, well, who are you going to get? Yeah, you you tried hiring the high-profile assistant at Will Muschamp. It didn't work. You hired the former head. Well, the active SEC head coach who was a former offensive coordinator who had gotten Mississippi State to number one in the college football playoff rankings when they came out in 2014. You hired that guy, and you decided he wasn't the answer. Then you hired a guy who was a Saban protege who also had some background with Dabo Sweeney, and who was having success in the Sun Belt, 
and you hired him, and if you get rid of him, like, okay, so who? What's the profile? You're not going to hire Urban Meyer again. You're not going to be able to clone Spurrier using DNA and, and bring him back. So who would be a fit? Well, now having somebody who is an alum who, again, in, in a much quicker pace than people thought he could, has gotten Arizona to a 10-win team, if he can sustain that in the Big 12, that will up the pressure on Billy Napier a lot because he's going to remain a hot candidate at a year from now. People will perceive Arizona as the kind of place you might be able to get him out of. So he'll still be a hot candidate. And the idea of, hey, if we don't get him now, a year from now we might not be able to get him. Again, I'm not telling anybody in Gainesville what they're going to do. I'm just saying it will absolutely be a name that gets thrown around a lot backing up this year with another good year. And it, it, look, maybe he's a guy who's a better head coach than a, an assistant coach because honestly, Fish has bounced around so much as an assistant coach and, and did not have a whole ton of success to point to in his assistant coaching career, but he was always getting jobs. And there were always people saying, oh, this guy's the next big thing. And you say, well, okay, but if he's the next big thing, why has he worked for like six places in seven years? Uh, how come he, he can't ever actually settle in somewhere and have success and not get fired? Uh, but maybe some guys are better when they can run the whole show than try to fit in with somebody else's pieces. I don't know. But Fish has done a remarkably good job at Arizona. So he gets the win last night in 38-24 in the win. Improves to 10-3. Meanwhile, we got that first look at Jackson Arnold for Oklahoma, 26 of 45, 361 yards, two touchdowns, but three interceptions as well. Uh, I think you saw certainly the tools there to say he could be a really fun player to watch. The first two interceptions were ones that are exactly what you expect a young quarterback to throw. Uh, just a little bit too long looking down somebody and the guy makes a play, a throw hanging a little too long going to the sidelines. DB comes over and makes that play. It's the kind of thing that only game experience is going to help you realize, hey, I got to be a little crisper there, a little cleaner. The third one was a total fluke, hit his guy in the hands, it bounced the wrong way, turned into a pick six. That one's not on him. But the first two were exactly what you would expect a young quarterback to do. But the key is the first two interceptions, they happen in like the first 10 minutes of the game. And he didn't get him in the jar. There's some young players, if something like that happened, they kind of freak out about it and get in their head. He didn't. He kept slinging it and started making big-time plays for Oklahoma in that game. So, again, uh, we'll see what the feedback is when Tennessee gets to develop their young guy and show him off for the first time against Iowa. I think Sooner fans came away feeling intrigued, certainly. At least there's enough proof in the pudding there that that guy could turn out to be really good. We'll see what he looks like when fall rolls around. We talk some CFP with Chris Felica straight ahead here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. 
First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. It is indeed the Chuck Oliver Show. Heath Klein in for Chuck today and... Joining us right now, a man that is always plugged in on everything that's going on all around the CFB world. You see him on Fox now. It's kind of weird for me to say, I don't know if I've actually done this with you, Chris, since uh, you you left and took the gig at Fox MSPM. Maybe one time. I don't know, but it's been a while. Uh, Chris Felica, you know him as the bear. You see him on Fox now as part of Big Noon Kickoff, and he joins us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. How you been, man? I'm, I'm, I've been doing all right. I saw a little, uh, little shoulder replacement surgery a couple of weeks ago. The season went well, but... Uh... Yeah, it does. It's a little weird just to not be uh, at the CFP now. With Kentucky has just uh, ripped off a couple of big runs and gotten to the end zone to take a uh, apparently a seven three lead now over over Clemson. But it was a it was a, it was a good season. It was fun. It was nice. It was uh, it was different for sure. But uh, certainly. Uh, Certainly made the right decision. I feel really happy about where I am and the opportunities that I have this year. And one of the reasons I want to have you on is because as part of that show, you've obviously gotten to go around the country, get firsthand looks at some of these teams. In fact, you basically saw the whole last run for Michigan on the way mm-hmm. up to this thing. And so I want to get your perspective on uh, the, the matchups coming up this weekend. And, and let's start with Michigan I was going over the numbers, Chris. I I think people are under the impression this is a better running team than the stats say that they actually are. Should I should I be not making what I am of the idea that this is a four point two seven yard per carry team that that's seventy second in FBS when they want to run? Can they just still run and that's just a stat that's just kind of a weird number or or is there something there? Yeah, I'm not sure that they can. I think if you look. Early in the season, I think we were all excited about Michigan, and we saw what they were doing, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to some of the, the poor teams that they play. But but their schedule was so bad. I mean, they didn't play a team with the pulse, really, until the, uh, the Penn State game. And at that point in the year, uh, McCarthy was hurt. Uh, Robert Wilson was hurt. Uh, like they, they had a bunch of – and if you look at the last couple of games of the year, I, I think that – what, what the longest play that longest pass play they had was that that, that trick play against Ohio State uh, really struggled to run the ball without without center on the offensive line uh, against Iowa. I, I think it's like the star power of of Michigan. They won the Joe Moore Award a couple of years in a row, and, and you got Blake Corum and you got Donovan Edwards. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I, I think. I think we all got a little high and excited about about Michigan early in the year based on uh, the numbers and maybe overlooked a little bit that the quality of the competition was not very great and, and they were certainly that game against Maryland got very sketchy. Uh, the game against Penn State was basically Penn State's inability to to, to complete a forward pass or move the ball. Uh, Michigan didn't even try and throw. They, I think they attempted one pass in the second half that game, and, and then Iowa. That was just again another completely offensive uh, lacking team. So yeah, I, I'm with you. I thought by now Alabama would be favored in this game. I'm a little surprised that they aren't. I don't know how many points either team is really going to be able to score, but but I, I do think Alabama ultimately will win. I wonder about one thing, and, and you probably have better data on this than somebody like me. 
the game is going to be called by Big 12 officials. Alabama this year was penalized a whole bunch. Last two years, in fact, they've been penalized a whole bunch. One of the keys to why they won against Georgia was that they actually played a relatively clean game when it comes to the flags. With the way Bama plays, the way Michigan plays, do Big 12 officials benefit either side? I don't, I don't really, really know. I mean, there, there, are, there are certain sites and people out there that do track that stuff. Uh, I don't necessarily do that. I know that's one of the old Beano Cook things uh, when you're playing a, a conference road game and you've got to deal with the other team's officials or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. But, obviously, whoever is officiating the game, I think that will certainly will, will certainly impact the game. But what surprised me so much about Alabama in that SEC championship game was how much of a push uh, they were able to get on the offensive line and, and, and give their give their backs the ability to run and how far back they were able to get that, 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 that Georgia defensive line. I don't know, maybe – or are they holding? Who knows? Maybe, maybe will it be called a little bit tighter and some things that they got away with against uh, Georgia may, may be flagged, but but I don't know. I, I think, but that was one thing that certainly surprised me from what we saw of the uh, of the Alabama offensive line early in the year to what they became. I think that unit improved dramatically. I just look back at Michigan last year losing to TCU, and so many people thought, "Wow, what a deal for them! They get TCU, whereas Georgia, as the one seed, winds up having to deal." with Ohio State, and the fact that they blew it, it just makes it hard for me to place a lot of belief that Harbaugh knows how to win in a game like this. And look, Saban doesn't magically make any team he coaches the winner, but boy, those two guys with their track records, it's just not hard to lean towards Alabama when you look at that. That was a two-inch putt that they missed. I mean, Georgia showed it the next week. It is ridiculous that they lost to that team. You know, it, it was a really, it was a weird game. Remember, they had that the the, the, fumble, the punt at the one yard line where where it, where it wasn't ruled a touchdown, or it was down to one yard line, wasn't ruled a touchdown. Had a couple of not offensive scores there for TCU, but it, it was a really weird game. I, I've been thinking too, like, does this game remind you a little bit um, of the Clemson Alabama game, the semifinal in 2017, where Clemson was number one? And they were an underdog in the game. It's that Kelly Bryant Clemson team. And I don't really think anybody really thought Clemson was the best team in the country at that point. And then Alabama just absolutely went out and smothered them on defense. And I think it was 24 6 or something like that. And we really didn't even need to throw a pass in the second half. Kind of, kind of feels a little like this year where. Uh, Look, look, the Vegas oddsmakers clearly have a lot of respect for Michigan, making them the favorite in this game. But I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think there's a, uh, I think there's a chance here. We're, we're, we're sitting there on, on on Monday evening, and, and this is like a, like like a, like a 24-13, type Alabama win. Yeah, the the fact that Bruce Feldman, who obviously a you know, super respected guy, that that he talked to all these coaches from both the SEC and the Big Ten, and everybody seemed to agree, yeah, Bama should get him. That that definitely got my attention. You're always concerned about is there a regional bias or something, but when the Big Ten coaches are like, yeah, they should get him, then that does get your attention a little yeah. bit. You got to see Michigan a bunch, but you also got to see the other side of this thing, uh, Texas, and they're the favorite. They're the three seed, but they're the favorite over Washington. Chris, you and I haven't talked about this. Should Washington be the one seed? No. Well, I, I don't think they should be. I do think I, body I, of work I should think... they be the one seed? Not, not, I'm, I'm not saying that you're picking them to win. Just body of work. Why is their body of work not better than Michigan's? I, I think probably because some of the margin of victories that they had and some of the calls that they had, uh, the Arizona State game, which was certainly 
a very losable game. The Oregon State game was certainly a little bit of an escape. Uh, the, the first Oregon game, obviously, we was was a close game. They, they had some games in there where where, where they where they kind of snuck by, and maybe their defense wasn't great, and Penix was injured. I certainly get that point. It's funny we we were kind of kicking that around uh, myself and Brady and Matt and the guys uh, getting into that, that that final night after everything that happened. But I I just I just don't think. That it'd be because look, look, look at it this way too. Like a lot of a lot of the season, people thought the you know, the Pac-12 uh, was the best conference, and uh, like if they if they were, look, I, I bet you I, I bet you Michigan was hoping that the Washington was number one. They and they were the team that had to play Alabama and not Washington for sure. I could see it. I, I think Michigan is is a better team, and I think a lot of times. We pay a little bit too much attention to schedule rather than, rather than certain things. But I, I think there's a look. You talk about one seed or best team, or whatever. I think there's a really good uh, chance that Texas is the best team of these four. Uh, I think they have the most ways to beat you on the off- offensive side of the ball with with the backs that they have, even without Brooks, um, with Mitchell and Worthy at wide receiver and a healthy yours and a good offensive line. I still think there's this little bit of a a notion and a belief that people think that win at Alabama was kind of a fluke, and it wasn't. Uh, They went to Tuscaloosa and absolutely dominated that team. I I think that's kind of a little bit of a a driving force here for Texas. Like, There's still a little like, oh, yeah, Texas is in, but they're only in because Alabama won, and they had to take Alabama, so that meant they had to take Texas. And I I think there's a little bit of that, but I I think if they can come out and run the ball uh, with with, with their two tight ends set and the one back, like that's going to force Washington to do some things uh, defensively and maybe expose themselves on the perimeter, and that would be some problems. And on the flip side, I wonder if the Washington offensive line is good, but I wonder if facing Sweat and some of those guys on the interior, they're able to get that push up the middle and kind of disrupt the timing of panics and maybe make life a little bit miserable for him. So I like Texas in this game. I, I think we're going to get a Texas-Alabama rematch, and I think we're going to get the same result we did in Tuscaloosa uh, in early September. Chris Felica with us from Fox. You can see him as part of their big noon kickoff. You can also check out his podcast, Bear Bets. He does multiple episodes on uh, both college and pro there. I encourage you to check that out. I, I look at Texas, I'm with you, as certainly there's no question they earned that win. That was not flukish in any way. Now, you could obviously make the case that Milrow has improved a lot since then. Tommy Reese has figured out his personnel better since then. The offensive line is night and day since then. Uh, you look at the stats after eight games versus the last five for sacks. There's a lot of things you could make the case for mm-hmm. why Bama might be a better version of themselves and might be able to win. But there's no doubt, Chris. I mean, it, it was not a, a judge's decision. It was a straight-up knockout. You know, and but you mentioned how Milrow has improved and Tommy Reese maybe has a better idea. I still want to know, like, like what happened that South Florida week that caused them to bench Milrow? Was that kind of a like a, a humbling lesson type of deal from Milrow? Was that uh, Reese and, and Saban saying, like, hey, we, we need to figure out who our backup is. This is a, this is a team we could beat with whomever we got to let these backers play and figure out the pecking order was it you Milrow was our guy Tommy we need to figure out an offense to to, to give Milrow the best chance to win he's our best quarterback and that was kind of a lesson to be like hey these backups aren't very good uh, Milrow's like that was just a 
a weird situation, and I really would love to know, like, like if I, if you injected Tommy Reese and Nick Siebel with truth serum, like what happened that week to cause them to make that decision? Because ultimately, in the end, it kind of worked out because since then, uh, their offense has been better, and, and Milrow has been in better positions uh, to succeed. There's no doubt it has been a major shift, and again, there's. I do think there's people who want to make this team more than it is. This is still clearly a flawed Bama team compared Correct. to their very best championship Correct. teams. But then you look at it, and sometimes that's that's how it happens. Sometimes coaches win with a squad that they didn't necessarily think was their best, but they get the right draw. If you told Mike Krzyzewski that one of his championship basketball teams was going to be 2010 Duke, I, I don't think he would have believed you. But that year, yeah. that crew, it just got the right draw, and it worked out. And so we'll see whether or not Saban can – Get him across the finish line. Uh, just of of other games, Chris, uh, from it's Saturday, you've obviously got uh, Ole Miss, Penn State. You got uh, Georgia, FSU. You've got the the earlier Monday games with the uh, you know, Wisconsin and LSU or Iowa, Tennessee. Any of that pique your interest at all from either a personal perspective or a wagering perspective? You know, the Ole Miss Penn State game really interests me uh, because I bet Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago at plus four and a half, thinking that that number was going to come down, that there would be a bunch of opt out news from Penn State. And I kind of assumed Manny Diaz was going to get one of those head coaching jobs, which he did. But the number hasn't moved my way. It's actually gone the other way. And Penn State's up to like a six point favorite now in certain spots. So, like, like you can still get in, I think, on Ole Miss at a better number uh, than I got. And I, I just think after the way that that season ended uh, last year for Lane and Ole Miss, kind of getting the doors blown off by Texas Tech, um, I don't. They, I, I haven't seen any opt outs. Maybe you have. I missed something in my uh, shoulder surgery induced drug coma where I didn't wasn't wasn't online all the time. But I know Chop Robinson did opt out. Uh, but but I don't see Penn State with this offense and that quarterback situation. I don't see them being a six point favorite in this game at all. I I think Ole Miss has a really really good chance just to go on out there and win this game outright. Yeah, we're, we're going to be doing the uh, let's look at guys, see who's out there. Because, like, I know Johnny Dixon at one point this week, one of their guys in the secondary for Penn State was not there. King was, but he wasn't. Uh, Fashano, I think a lot of people still will be surprised if he opts to to play in the game, but he might. So uh, there's definitely going to be some of that going on pregame for both sides, but especially for Penn State kind of saying, hey, uh, you know, this guy or that guy, do they look like they're warming up or are they just in uniform today kind of thing? And so we'll see what that winds up looking like. Uh, one thing's for sure. I mean, Ole Miss, they're trying to make a, a statement for next year. You're going to get a very engaged Ole Miss team because it's really clear with yeah. what they're doing in the portal. Lane is putting a lot of chips on 2024. Yeah, exactly. I think I think and I, you know, look, we we, we kind of joked about it in, in the past, and I've joked about it with other people like the old ball momentum. Watch out! But I I think what you mentioned getting Nolan and getting some of the other guys, and and, and it, this game I think matters for Lane, and I, I think he wants to end the season on a much higher note than he did last year. Like, like Penn State's offense hasn't done anything all year against anybody that has a, has a pulse. So uh, I'd be surprised even with the change of coordinator if, if that if that changed here. Chris Felica, you see him now on Fox, part of Big Noon Kickoff. Check out that Bear Bets podcast. It's really great stuff. Chris, have a great uh, weekend, man. Enjoy the games. We'll talk to you in the new year. Appreciate you, Heath. Thanks so much. There you go. Chris Felica, great guy, and uh, glad to see him continue to have success over there at Fox. We will put the wraps on this edition of the Chuck Oliver Show straight ahead.
more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. They've done amazing, you know, to, to win 10 games to the last three seasons. Um, think of where it was when we got here and where it is now and what's been going on in recruiting that will lead into next year uh, is, is really amazing uh, just, just to be a part of. That is the voice of Lane Kiffin, of course. We just talked about that game with the Chris Fleek a little bit. The interesting one tomorrow for sure between Ole Miss and Penn State. And we'll see whether or not he can finish the year ranked in the top 10 with a win and kind of begin to stake that claim for what they might be able to do for next year. Hey, a time quickly for what matters to me today. It's presented by This Stuff Matters. Uh, This just came down last night, but I think it's going to be interesting to see where else it goes. I mentioned earlier about Arizona and their win. Armin Katayan is a name you may know, formerly with uh, CBS for a bunch of years as a news reporter, as a guy who was a sideline reporter on NFL. He also, though, a few years back wrote a book about college football called The System, and uh, that book was designed to be kind of a a behind-the-scenes look at where things are in college football well, Katayan sent out the following tweet, quote, As part of a major book on the state of big-time football due out next August from HarperCollins, I've been inside the Arizona team for months in San Antonio tonight when co-author John Talty and I hit the lottery. Incredible, inspiring story. So we don't know what the book is going to be about, but it does tell you there's another book out there from a guy whose history when he writes books is trying to stir it up, find some issues, whether it be rule violations back in the day in college basketball with raw recruits, whether it be pros and cons. Uh, Through the years, there's a bunch of different books he's written that tend to be muckracking-style books about college football, not always uh, college football, whatever it is that he's writing about. Uh, So I would say that's just something to file away. Come August, there's probably going to be some details that come out because Catan's a good reporter. There's probably going to be some details that come out. Now, whether or not it's the stuff that's NCAA violations, whether it's just bad PR just file that one away for August. Sounds like he's going to have a good portrayal of the Arizona program, but I'm guessing it won't be a happy-go-lucky book about Arizona football based on everything Katayan has ever done, Tiger Woods, every book he's ever done. There's going to be some seamy stuff in there. So just just file that away mentally for before the start of the season. Uh, Arizona, it sounds like, will come out okay, but I'm guessing other people in college football might not do quite as well. That's just something to keep in mind. And again, that's uh, what matters to me today. Brought to you by thisstuffmatters.net. Also, I want to quickly mention ESPN has entered a float in the Rose Bowl parade for Monday. Uh, On the float, as part of their crew, they're going to have Laura Rutledge, Tim Tebow, Jordan Rogers, Marty Smith, and Ryan McGee. And yes, Paul Feinbaum going to be riding in the Rose Bowl parade Uh, We'll see how that goes because obviously you'll have people for the Rose Bowl parade that are L.A. people that don't care about any of this, that are just there for the parade. You'll have Michigan people and you'll have Alabama people. Will anybody be like, yeah, Paul's my guy? Will anybody be trying to throw things at Paul? I do know this much. There was no chance they were going to enter anybody from ESPN in the Orange Bowl parade because that's where FSU is. And that that might not have turned out well for anybody. Uh, David, have you ever been to the uh, Rose Bowl parade out there for the Rose Bowl? Have you ever done that with your Ohio State fandom through the years? I actually haven't. That's been one of the things I'm meaning to do as a Buckeye fan. Do you like parades? Is that a thing that's your jam? Eh, don't love them or hate them. You know, not kind of neutral on it. Yeah, if you're a kid, parades are fine. I could believe first time I covered the Rose Bowl 
was the year that Michigan played Washington State, Ryan Leaf's last game, Woodson's last game, all that. And and we were out there. I was out there with ESPN, in fact, and, and Felica and the rest of the game day crew. We were out there for that Rose Bowl. People were literally sleeping in the street to make sure that they had spots to watch the Rose Bowl parade. It was the weirdest deal. It's like, guys, it, it's a parade. I get that the floats are all made out of flowers. It's really, it's not that big a deal. I'm sorry. You're sleeping out overnight on concrete because you just have to get a look at all the pretty floats in the parade. It was like, whoa, okay. You folks are a little too excited about this parade. But uh, regardless, uh, they're going to do that. And then we're going to find out who gets a chance to play for the national championship coming up in a week. As you can tell, it's just about time for us to wrap it up for 2023. Want to say a big thanks to all of you for listening all through the year here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Uh, this is my first year getting to be a part of it on a full-time basis. Been a fill-in host for a lot of years, but uh, being an actual day-to-day part of the show has been kind of fun since I took the baton from Dan Matthews in August. So uh, thanks to all of you who listen to us throughout the year. Remember, you can follow the show. Chuck Oliver Show is the handle on social media and know who the guests are going to be at any given day. If you want to interact with us, you can do it. David Holloway produces this program on a regular basis. David, thanks, man. This has been fun. Oh, always. And we'll have him back as well in 2024. And yes, come Tuesday, we'll be back up with the king in the house, loaded for bear, reacting to everything that goes on as we start a new year of college football. Be safe out there. We'll see you then. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.